Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Good morning. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another day of Baby Watch 2023. (laughs) She's still here, folks. Still hosting, still happy to be here, though, and with you, of course, from the Myron Construction Studios of WHBY. We're talking about topics here that impact our community, be it through the organizations, the people, the causes, the issues, the programs. We love to highlight our community. And as always, you are welcome. You are invited. And we're so glad that you join us here on Focus Fox Valley. Our show this hour is sponsored by Sturdivant and Associates. You'll find them at 500 North Commercial Street in Nina, that old train depot. That's where Eric and Carl are ready to take your calls, answer your questions, meet with you when you want to talk about Medicare and Medicaid. Maybe you're looking to switch some things up. Maybe you are new to Medicaid and Medicare. You're turning 65 this year. Give them a call. 920-969-1956 is that number. They are the best. We hope that you join the conversation today. We'll toss out that Settlers Bank phone line for you. 920-281-1150 is how you can call in. You can text in. You can also visit our website. Go to whby.com and email the studio. Bottom line, we love hearing from you. We hope to hear from you today. And our guest would love to give you his insight in the world of culinary delights. And when we turn to culinary chatter, of course, it's Chef Jeff with Fox. Valley Technical College's Culinary Arts Department joining us here in studio. Hello, Chef Jeff. Good morning. Good morning. I am so happy to be here. I'm glad that you are happy to be here, and I'm glad to see you. Are, are you happy to be here? <laughs> Someone said to me earlier this week, good morning, Haley, and I looked them dead in the eyes, and I said, is it? Is it good? <laughs> well, I'm a little surprised to see you because I, I think we said our goodbyes the last time I was here. It'll be, oh, we'll see you in four months or whatever. I feel like I'm in, I'm 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 continuously in a mode of saying goodbyes or putting a disclaimer out there that I might not see you the next time. But officially, this will be our last chat before summertime. So well, my next visit is I'm here on Tuesday, April 18th, and if you're here, you're going to be having. A very, very, very large baby. That might be the gestation of, I don't even know, an elephant? I don't know. That would be, be, I'd be breaking records, Jeff. (laughs) I would not be happy to be here, but uh, I am happy to be here today. And I was hoping I would be able to chat with you today because I love talking food with you. I think the listeners like hearing about food from Chef Jeff. And of course, we love it when you chime in. So text us, call us, email us, 920-281-1150 is that number. And... I had said this during my tease with Ben, but when I emailed you yesterday, Jeff, I said, you know, not exactly sure. Nothing's coming immediately to mind for me on what we should focus on for the hour. But Easter is a couple of weeks away, mm-hmm. April 9th, Sunday, April 9th is Easter. And I thought, well, maybe we could talk ham and lamb and bam, says Emerald. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> potato sides also came to mind for me because a good, a, you know, a good crock pot of ham. And a potato side seems to be kind of what we usually do for for Easter time. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, Jeff Jeff? Well, you know, you can do anything you want on Easter. Uh, My family is spread out over 80 miles. So for the second year in a row, we're actually meeting at a uh, friendly local establishment to go out for Easter. We started it last year and it worked out well. And 
we were worried some of our family members might have heart palpitations when the bill came and things like that, but it didn't happen. And so we said, well, it just saves everybody a little bit of driving. And, you know, I'm always willing to host, but that puts some people on the road for 160 miles that day. And, you know, everybody's getting a little older and, you know, it's not always advantageous for them to do that. So that's what we're doing. We're meeting in Fond du Lac, which is halfway. <laughs> anyway. Easter brunch, so, though, so many families I know go out for Easter brunch. It's a tradition. You know, it's funny. You, you, you look at this menu, it's like, oh, that all sounds so great. And, you know, your your stomach, I mean, some of ours is larger, are larger than others, but, you know, it's finite. You can only put so much in there. You know, the average stomach is like a quart. So when you stop and think about that and you think about how much you're going to, you know, consume. It's like, well, you know, you only get to try everything a little bit once and you're pretty much done. And. I hate to say this because I'm not old yet, and you're smiling really big right now because you think, <laughs> you're yeah, not old. yes, you are, Jeff. You're not but old. The older you get, the less you eat. You're well-seasoned. <laughs> Spicy, even. <laughs> um, the, uh, the older you get, the less you eat, so you just don't have the capacity. At one time, when I would go out for like a buffet or something, the owner would cringe. It's like, oh my gosh, he's here, you know, but not anymore. Oh. You know, now it's a, you know, they make money on me. Well, I'm going to plug a, a local spot because on Sunday after church, my husband turned to me and said, hey, what would you think if we went to Romy's for for a little buffet for, for lunch today? We'll invite the grandparents. So we were able to get the whole family out to Romy's within a, an hour. And they put on a great buffet. Oh, yeah. Their, their chicken is top notch, folks. You know, you all know it. Their beef tips, top notch. You all know it. But my daughter's eyes when she saw that buffet probably the first time she's actually ever really seen a buffet up close with all that's gone on in the past, you know, three, four years. Sure. She just, wow, mom. It was something. And their owner, Dawn, I had the privilege of serving on a board with her for many years. She's a wonderful lady and uh, does a great job out there. Oh, so. it was so good. Yep. Oh, good Absolutely. stuff over there. Yeah. So plug to Romy's. You probably can pick up chicken for Easter there. <laughs> you there probably could. There you go. All right. Well, I, I, when I wrote to you, Jeff, you did mention uh, you've been working on a few new things. So what are the new things that you've been working on? Well, you know, several of them are top secret. I really can't, okay. you know, share, you know, over the air, <laughs> you know, and it's funny because, you know, some of the guys that I play cards with and stuff, they, they'll hear the show and they'll be like, well, can you make this for us? And I tell them, I, I, no, I really don't like you that much. So I, I can't do that. But um, th this one, I'll give you this one. It's hot off the press. And just like, you know, we all get inspiration different places. I mean, people listening today might hear that and say, hey, that sounds pretty good, you know. So I saw this online and I call it braised chicken breast. Typically, you don't braise a chicken breast because it lends itself to grilling or frying or, you know, doing something. And I, I, I know the listeners out there with me, you've all endured dry pork chops or dry chicken breasts. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go as quick as I can. I wouldn't gather the ingredients first because this is a really quick and simple recipe. Okay. So next to your, your skillet, you're going to want some, some whole butter. Just, you know, stick butter. That's that's um, a good sign. Doesn't though, have Jeff, to be right room there. temperature or anything. <laughs> some minced garlic, some honey, some soy sauce, and some white vinegar. Mm -hmm. Just have that ready. Now the chicken breasts. Take off the skin, trim off any fat, and then take your knife, your sharp knife, and just score the top kind of in a diamond pattern so that it's got this crosshatch look to it. And then just take those and season them lightly with some seasoned salt or regular salt and black pepper and flour. Just flour them, all-purpose flour. Now, you really only have to flour the, the crosshatch side. But what I did is, because I, I had four chicken breasts, is a little flour was in the pan that didn't get on the top. And I just kind of used the bottom to just not to waste it, right? This is the whole dig. That's the whole preparation right there. So you take your skillet, or pre-prep, I should say, right? You take your skillet, you put about a quarter cup of oil in, like canola oil or olive oil, whatever you want to fry in, and you, you get that hot, medium hot, and you put the crosshatch chicken in that skillet. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to brown and crust that floured side. And, of course, because the protein in the chicken is coagulating, that kind of opens up into this beautiful crosshatch. I know the, the listeners can't see it, but on break, I, can, I have a picture of it. I mean, it really looks good. So you're going to cook this at least 50, 
50 to 60% on that first side and just kind of keep peeking at it. You know, you get this beautiful brown color. When, when that's crusted on the uh, first side, you flip them over. And that's when you take the butter, put the butter in the pan, get it melted, throw your garlic in, saute it just a little bit, and then your honey, soy sauce, and vinegar. Of course, I have quantities on my recipe here. And that makes this baste. Mm-hmm. And the butter kind of bubbles, and it brings all this together. And then the last thing you do is you tilt, you turn the heat off, and you tilt your pan, and you just baste those breasts with this with this sauce that you made, this pan sauce. And I got to tell you, they're just amazingly juicy. Now, again, if you cook them forever, you will dry them out, but you don't have to do that. If you just get that first side nice and crusted and brown and then flip it over, it's going to, you know, if you had it two-thirds of the way done on the first side, it's not going to take long to finish. By the time you get your sauce made, you turn it off, and you just baste those. This chicken, I mean, it was so juicy. You cut it, and it, it just the juice just came out of it. It's dripping down your chin. Wow. It sounds amazing. But it's also one of those recipes you can't set and forget. You have to be actively participating. Oh, yeah. That's why it's so quick. I mean, mm-hmm. legitimately, if this takes you 15 minutes, you, you overcooked your chicken. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like a 10-minute preparation. It's super easy. And I figured, what did I have on the side? Oh, we had some leftover potatoes and carrots from the uh, night before. So I just warmed those up, and, and we were done. This is what we had for our Sunday Sunday dinner, my wife and I. And we, are, we have a very, uh, what do you call it, routine on Sundays. We always share a bottle of wine and have just a nice quiet, just the two of us. And, no, nah, I was really happy with it. And then we had the leftover, the other two. We ate on Tuesday, and even warming them up, they were still juicy. So hmm. I was really happy with them. So I know you post these out on your website, I right? I do. So then you I can do. put the the ingri- or the uh, quantities out there for that stuff. But it was super easy to do. And again, I was inspired. I saw it somewhere on the internet. I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to try that. And so I put my own twist to it, changed it a little bit, and, you know. but I love that because, again, chicken, how versatile it is. We seem to come sometimes get in a rut. I know I do with how I make it, how I prepare it, and I'm always looking for a new way to vamp up my my chicken. Well, Sunday night I typed this up and I sent it out to both of my kids and then two of my buddies. One of my buddies made it the very next night and he said, "Incredible." So here's the other thing, folks: you could take a thick pork chop and do the exact same thing, mm. right? Cross hatch the the top of the the boneless uh, pork chop and do the same thing. So. You give that a try when you're when you're up and around after number three is here, and uh, tell me how that goes. I will report back. <laughs> I will. I'm always looking for a good chicken recipe, and that's right up my alley. So, all right, we will share that recipe on our website after the show, and we hope to hear from you. Give us a call today if you've got a question for Chef Jeff. We've got more conversation on the way. You're listening to Focus Fox Valley on WHBY. Welcome back to Focus Fox Valley on WHBY. Chef Jeff is my guest here today with Fox Valley Tech's Culinary Arts Department. Uh, what's happening over there, by the way, in the Culinary Arts Program? You're kind of cruising through that second sem- second semester, I would imagine. Well, uh, this is the end of our third quarter this week, and then Monday starts the fourth. <clears throat> so, yeah, the school year is flying by. But what's really exciting is after several years of planning, our area is going into a three-year facelift. And we're in phase one starting in May. So it's super exciting. A lot of it has to do with our new baking program. So we have three associate's degrees in our area. Everybody knows us for culinary because that's our biggest program. But baking is coming on very, very strong. That just started in August. And we also have hospitality management for those people who enjoy the industry, just don't really want to cook or bake. So then they're in either the management side or the front of the house side or whatever. So we have all three of those degrees. So it's really exciting. That is exciting. Oh, and always good things coming from those those kitchens. You you mentioned uh, my mom brought home some some baklava for me this week. So only because she loves you. She loves me and she knows it's my favorite. (laughs) It's my favorite dessert, I think. One of my favorites. Top five for sure. 
Anyways, <laughs> Chef but Jeff she didn't make it for you because you were saying on your birthday she made you like a lemon oh. pie that you said. Did you hear about this? I, you, I heard you on the radio. You were gushing about it. It was amazing. It yeah. was her take on a on a key lime pie, but it was a key, key lemon pie. Oh. There you go. I'm, I was done. That was it. That's all I needed right there. <laughs> Give us a call today. 920-281-1150 is that number on our Settlers Bank phone line or text line. I want to ask about ham and lamb and, and, and main courses for, for Easter because a lot of times people may be finding them in the store right now, picking them up now, tossing them in the freezer. Any tips, any advice for those 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 big protein, those main dishes, those main courses um, for, for Easter, for Passover? Well, with ham, the biggest thing I can remind people is ham is already cooked. So what most people are going to do is, they're, oh, we got to get it hot. So they're going to basically overcook it. And then it gets dry and tough and stringy. And, you know, so when you buy a ham, and it really doesn't matter what kind of ham it is, because they're fully cooked, they're smoked and cooked to begin with, you just want to ease them up to service temperature. Shoot for that 140, 145 temperature at the very max. You don't have to go beyond that because then what you're doing is it's at a pleasing temperature to eat, but it's not you know overconsumed where the where the juices and the and the moisture and the fat is cooking out of it and it gets tough like ham jerky. So for this reason, I am of the opinion, and I know there are a lot of people who will disagree with this, and that's perfectly fine. We can all coexist on Earth and, and not see things the same way. But I'm not a huge fan of the spiral cut or the pre-cut hams. I was just going to ask. Because the every time you make those cuts, you're giving more opportunity for the juices to escape. So I would much rather, and, and if you're out there listening, you're like, oh, yeah, Jeff, but you know how to cut it. It's worth, you know, learning a little bit on how to cut that ham because you're going to end up with such a superior product. No offense to our retailers out there who are selling spiral cut hams. I understand why they exist. And, you know, I understand there are consumers who really like them. But it's, it's, it's almost an impossibility for it not to be drier because of all those cuts. Every time you pierce meat like with a fork or you cut it, you're giving an opportunity for juices to escape. And I think the objective is to serve as juicy of a piece of meat as possible. Interesting. All right. That's an interesting tip. Let's head to the phone lines. We have Jim joining us here today. Jim, good morning. You're on with Chef Jeff. Good morning. I hear my brother from another mother's on the radio today. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Jim. Hey, Jeff, talk about ham. Uh, Haley brought up something this morning. Is it possible when you make a ham, you know, you get your uh, pineapple and stuff, can you exchange brown sugar with maple syrup? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I would consider them, that up this morning. Yeah. I would consider them both sugars. You know, I mean, uh, brown sugar is more concentrated than maple syrup. Um, you do know there's a product called maple sugar, right? Yes. That yes. would that would cut more evenly against brown sugar. I buy maple sugar for one of our preparations when we make uh, homemade venison bacon. Um, but yeah, you certainly can interchange the 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 maple syrup with the brown sugar the difference is you're going to have that mapley flavor which most people love compared to the molasses flavor in the brown sugar but perfectly interchangeable yeah, uh, you bet yeah i thought, i think i'm going to try that this easter cuz i of course i did for christmas i did the old style you know but uh haley brought it up this morning i'm going like hmm okay haley sounded like she was just like crazy over uh maple syrup so we'll try it thanks jeff well, you're thanks, welcome Haley. thanks for calling thanks for calling jim what i was going to add is but you guys were talking about drinking it <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i could just see my blood sugar go like through the oh. roof as I'm, I'm chugging some some maple syrup oh it's i mean i will say i've never straight up just drank maple syrup but i do i do it's add it to, to beverages once in a while to to coffee or tea if I, if I don't have honey on hand or something. so. Well, I have heard numerous people in our wonderful state of Wisconsin who enjoy this drink called the Old Fashioned that will substitute maple syrup for the for the you know the cocktail syrup or the cherry juice mm-hmm. or whatever that they make their um, old fashioned with. I don't remember to be very honest. I don't know if I've ever had an old fashioned made with maple syrup. I'm sure I would enjoy it though. Have you? I feel no, not in, the, in an old-fashioned sense. I've have I have had maple bourbon drinks, 
and maple syrup infused with with bourbon. And, oh, that would be really good. Yeah, with like a ginger ale just, or something like that. Yeah, it was very good. Or even hold the ginger ale, just a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of maple syrup in the Get bourbon. That edge off. That would, yeah, that would that would be tasty. Let I'll me know. Have to try that. I'll, I'll join you in in a, in a couple of weeks. I'm I'm looking forward to my first old fashioned. Uh, well, I forgot about that. Yeah. You've been kind of on the shelf when it comes to any Which of those okay. adult beverages. But I am yeah. looking forward to a few things, indeed. We always have maple syrup at our house because my wife uses it in her oatmeal and different things like that. And I, I tend to stay away from it. I'm diabetic. I don't know if a lot of people know that or not. But, um, you know, there are times where you just have to, you have to have to. So Just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right. We'll take a short break. Here is today's Garden Bite, which is brought to you by Jung Garden Center. Welcome back to Focus Fox Valley with Haley Tenpass here on WHBY. Chef Jeff is joining us, of course, taking your calls and questions on our Settlers Bank phone line, 920-281-1150, talking a little bit of Easter meals and whatnot. Chef Jeff also shared an amazing braised chicken breast recipe that we will post on our website. Uh, but right now we have Ron who's calling in, and Ron has a little nostalgic recipe to share with us something from mom back in the day hi ron you're on the air with chef jeff ron are you there yeah can you hear me i can hear you hi i'm 70 years old 50 years ago my mom would make a ham that was just delicious she sent my dad to the store and he would buy a whole ham because a whole ham was cheaper than half ham then he talked to him well, cutting it half for the same price, uh, you take both pieces of it and everything like that because they're very conservative and that. And he would bring it home, and she would take the ham and put it in a roasting pan. Then she would take a brown paper bag, just like you got from the grocery store, put the ham in the bag, and cook it at a low temperature for hours and hours. And then she would also make uh, baked beans right from scratch and homemade German potato salad. And that ham was so delicious that you would not believe it. But she cooked it at a low temperature and everything like that. And it was just excellent. Every uh, Christmas Eve, and it was open house at our house, always. Yeah. I've never heard of that technique before. Have you in a brown paper bag, Chef Jeff? No, but basically the what the brown paper bag did is it created a, an environment of steam. You know, even at a low temperature, it just enveloped that ham in this, like a, a, a mini sauna which will keep the ham from drying out, right? I mean, that that is really important. So uh, the, the key to it being delicious, of course, is where it came from and how it was brined and smoked. Because hams all taste a little bit different, starting with the, the pork itself, right? So wherever you guys were buying them, congratulations that it was fantastic. <laughs> Have you been able to replicate it? Oh, we lost Ron. Oh, no. It's all right, though. Uh, but, uh, Ron, call back and let us know if, if you replicated Mom's recipe from uh, from 50 years ago. That's I, I've never heard that before. That's I, a great... I would be really curious if he was able to find a similar ham and be able to replicate it. Yeah. You know, sliding it in a grocery bag. I love that. There you go. R- reminds me of the, the famous apple pie in a bag from The Elegant Farmer, which is in southern Wisconsin. They're famous for their apple pie in a bag. It's very good. I'm a big proponent of using using grocery bags and <laughs> repurposing them. I really am, you know. I cut them open and they have these big sheets. So if I work do it on something messy, like last weekend I changed oil on my lawnmower and sharpened the blades. It's the first time I didn't get oil on the f- garage floor because I use these grocery bags. Hey, they're paid for. They're paid for. And I recycle them. So there you go. We usually have crayons all over our... <laughs> brown paper bags if they're left out <laughs> thanks for calling in though ron i love that if you have a maybe a, a favorite recipe of how mom did it i love that you mentioned german potato salad too which is oftentimes an interesting uh accompaniment to an easter um i'm not a fan of german potato salad but it's it's more because i was once covered in german potato salad <laughs> a story for another time and i just i, I can't do it since then 
My question was going to be hot or cold because German potato salad can be served hot or cold, and I'm a, a, a much prefer hot. I think okay. most people do. Yeah, I, I like cold potato salad if it's, you know, the mayonnaise-based or, you know, the kind of French-based or American-based. But um, when it comes to my, my German potato salad, I grew up on that, and I, yeah, I just love it, and I really prefer it hot. What are elements that equal an amazing German potato salad? Hot well, first, you said. Yeah, I guess, you know, to, to start, you're going to have bacon and onions, right? And you can... There's a variation of how you can cook those together and then drain off as much of the grease as possible. I don't use that. Then you come up with a balance between um, sugar and vinegar, you know, and how tart or how sweet do you want it. Um, I grew up where they thickened it with cornstarch, but I do know people that will take, after the bacon and onions are, are sautéed, they'll only get rid of part of that bacon fat and then put a little flour in there and basically make a roux and then thicken the the vinegar and sugar base before they put the potatoes, the, the pre-cooked potatoes back in. Interesting. So, yeah. Oh, I love it. We always talk food right before lunch. It's incredible. I leave here. It's one the, of the hardest hun- show t- time to host. I tell you what. And you don't get to eat until you're done at, what, 1 o'clock, right? Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> it's all right. I'm always <laughs> snacking, as I like to say. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll wrap up this hour with Chef Jeff. Join the conversation, 920-281-1150 is that number calling or texting. Back in a moment. And welcome back. Healy Ten Pass with Chef Jeff here today on this Wednesday. Talking all sorts of recipes. Chef Jeff's going to share another for us. What are you working on over there? Well, this is uh, it's one I had to type up recently because out at our hunting lodge, sometimes, you know, I'm not there every weekend when the guys are hunting and stuff. And so um, they like mac and cheese or, you know, potatoes and cheese. And so I had to write up my cheese sauce recipe that they could make it and it would be a success. So I'm going to give you this recipe backwards because it'll be easier. It'll make sense after I do it. Okay. So here are the, here are the ingredients to make the, the sauce. All right. 16 ounces of whole milk. So a pint, 16 ounces of water and 16 ounces of processed American cheese, which you might as well just say Velveeta. Velveeta. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 16, 16, 16. Pound cake was already taken, so maybe I can call this pound sauce. Right? <laughs> okay. And the only other thing you're going to add to that is one tablespoon of, of chicken base. Gives you that a little bit of saltiness, a little bit of color. Right? So milk, water, chicken base, and, and cheese. That, that's all that's in it. Now you figure out how you're going to thicken it. And, and we're doing this backwards. So if you want a little bit thicker sauce, use a third of a cup of oil and two-thirds of a cup of flour. That'll make you a thicker sauce like you would put over something. If you want a thinner sauce where you're going to, like, mix mac and cheese with it, which some of that macaroni is going to pull, you know, some of that, then you use a quarter cup of oil and a half a cup of flour. So two different ratios of flour depending if you want a thicker sauce or a thinner sauce. Did I say that too fast, or you think everybody's got that? I think they've got it, but we'll put it online as well. So mm-hmm. so you, you start with the roux. So you're either going to make it for thicker, you know, a third cup oil and a, a two-thirds cup flour, or thinner, quarter cup oil and half cup flour. And then it, you have a big enough pot, right? You, you add the milk, the water, the chicken base, and when that gets nice and, and pretty hot, cook that first. That cooks out all the flour taste and all that. The last thing you do is you fold in your cheese, cut it in chunks or whatever, and melt it. And now you're ready to go. And and I'll, I'll be honest with you as far as what do we do with this. At this point in that pot, now I'll throw in the pasta, mm-hmm. and I'll throw in a couple bags of frozen vegetables, and we have what we call a one-pot wonder. And, you know, you grilled some brats or you grilled some pork chops or whatever it is. And we don't have a lot of dishes to do, and these guys love it. Well, it's hard to it's it's hard to not love anything just sl- smothered in cheese sauce. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a simple home cheese sauce recipe. And if you want to make it, like I said, you want to do your cheesy potatoes with it, great. 
Um, there, same thing as the pasta. I'd go with the thinner sauce because the starchiness of the potatoes or the starchiness of the macaroni is going to absorb some of that thinness, right? And it's going to tighten it up. Now, here's my question for you, Jeff, because I know there are folks out there that will say there's a time and place for Velveeta, right? Oh, yeah. But sometimes you want you want a real, you know, you want real dairy in there. Could you could you shred up a block of cheddar and, and replace it? Absolutely. The, the challenge for the home cook with using real cheese is you can't get it too hot. Because if you get it too hot, the casein breaks apart and it curdles and you get this texture. The taste isn't going to change, but the texture is going to throw you off. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what happened to this? It's got this cottage cheesy kind of texture to it. And that's why, you know, I always think about who's my audience. Now, if you're an experienced cook out there, you might have been offended that I just said that. But for the home user, success is important. And so that's, you know, I'm not a big user of Velveeta. Matter of fact, the only time I buy Velveeta is when I'm doing this particular sauce because it's just not something we have at home. Otherwise, I'm a natural cheese guy. So, yes, you can use natural cheese in the same proportion. So you just use a pound of, of shredded cheddar, a, a pound of Swiss. I mean, whatever you want, but just be more cautious to not get it too hot because that will ruin, ruin your cheese. Okay. So I hope that makes sense. And and if you get any hate mail, Haley, just let me know. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not anti-dairy. You know that. I oh, support farmers big 100%. time. 100%. You know, but the, the processed American cheese does give you a little bit more um, opportunity for success as you're learning. Interesting. I'm intrigued by that. I, I, we, we're mac and cheese people at our house and with kids it makes sense right it makes sense um so we'll post that recipe that cheese sauce it will be up on our website shortly after i pop off the air here today really quickly we did get ron to call back ron are you there yes i am sorry ron i had to kind of put you on hold there for a second and i you had an oh. update on if you've tried mom's ham recipe for us yes um I do remember my dad buying the better quality of ham and everything like that and uh, everything else. And even my kids today, they still uh, use grandma's recipe because they figure why you can't improve the, uh, the, the wheel. So I changed the recipe. And then afterwards, she would take the bone and make a really good uh, bean soup or uh, <laughs> pea soup with it. And also, in the fall, we had all, all these vegetables in the garden and everything like that were just almost going to waste. She'd take all the vegetables out, like potatoes and everything, carrots, celery, whatever you could find, throw it in a kettle and cook it up and make a cream sauce over it and everything like that, and then put dumplings on top of it. Boy, it was oh. that good. Yep. Comfort foods right there. Man, and that generation did not waste one bit. Well, I love that, Ron. Nor That's should all I got we. for today. Okay. Thanks for the call, Thank Ron. Thank you, Ron. I love that. Sure. Yeah, not wasting one bit. And I, Chef Jeff gave two thumbs up with using that ham bone, by the way, yeah, <laughs> for <absolutely>. that soup. <laughs> no, I think the the if we all adopt a no waste, a zero a zero garbage food, there I, I read these uh, incredible statistics about how many hundreds of pounds of food gets thrown away every you know per family and stuff. It's like, folks, make your lists, buy your stuff. Utilize it appropriately so you're not throwing away your money and, and wasting food. That's not right. All right. A great note to end on. Chef Jeff, good to see you. I'll see you in a couple months. <laughs> and uh, But he'll be back with Nancy Mickey uh, during my maternity leave. So no worries, folks. Good luck to you. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, the recipes Jeff mentioned, they will be up shortly over at WHBY.com. everyone and welcome back for our second hour of Focus Fox Valley. I'm Haley Tenpass. We are broadcasting as always from the Myron Construction Studios of WHBY. Thanks for joining us here today. It is Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. 
All right. We've got some great conversations coming up in this hour of the show. Of course, a full forecast check-in with the First Alert team over at WBAY, so stay tuned for that. Also, our focus on careers with Fox Valley Technical College will highlight the associate degree in nursing and that associate nursing program at Fox Valley Tech. Of course, it's a really in-demand career. We saw you know, so, so many nurses needed and appreciated during the pandemic, and we'll talk more about uh, where graduates are heading in 2023. So stay tuned for that conversation coming up a little bit later on in the hour. But right now we're talking maple syrup. Maybe you've been driving around. I know when we've been taking the kids to school, I've noticed there are a lot of buckets on the trees. I've been pointing those out to the kids and trying to explain to them, you know, where our maple syrup comes from. And what a great opportunity uh, to see firsthand then attending Barkhausen's Public Maple Syrup Day this Saturday with the Brown County Parks Department. And joining us from that program, Jason Petrella, Program and Natural Resource Manager with Brown County Parks. And he's going to tell us more about Barkhausen's Public Maple Syrup Day this Saturday. Jason, good afternoon. Thanks for being here today. Yes, definitely. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, it's that time of year, but, you know, sometimes a little bit earlier in in the year, a little bit later on in the spring uh, for maple syrup here in Wisconsin. And of course, we know that syrup comes from sap, which comes from maple trees. And I'm hoping you can maybe start off by telling us a little bit about what Barkhausen has to offer uh, tree wise and and how many trees you're tapping and and what uh, this season kind of looks like for you so far. Yeah, so um, here at Barkhausen, we use um, pretty much just red maples. Um, you can make maple syrup from um, a variety of species of maples. The best, obviously, is a sugar maple, hence the name sugar maple. It's got the most sugar in the staff. And so when you think about, like, Canada and, like, northeast uh, United States here, like Vermont and all that, they're using a lot of sugar maples. They, they have more sugar in the staff. They have a little bit longer season. So, um, But for us here at Barkhausen, all we have is red maples. And it tastes really good. I think it actually may taste a little bit better personally. <laughs> um, but what that means for us is that the ratio of sap to syrup is a little bit higher. So for our red maples, typically it's going to be 40 to 60 gallons of sap, depending on some stuff, um, sap to turn into one gallon of syrup where your sugar maples could be more like 20 to 30 ounces, so quite a big difference there. Uh, but here at Barkhouse, we tap about 100 trees, and um, we have a variety of bags and buckets on our trees, and we're really making the syrup pretty much for field trips of all the local schools that come out here for the month of March. We're learning about maple syrup with all the kids and chaperones and teachers get to sample some of our syrup, and we also make enough syrup for our public day event, which is coming up this Saturday. And then if it works out well, we might have some to actually sell. And so we actually this year have some to sell, but that does vary quite a bit each year. Interesting. Uh, 100 trees. Uh, that's that's very impressive. Um, I, I love hearing that also you do a lot of education with all of this. But I'd love to take a step back to understanding maybe when the best time to tap those trees might be. So what are you looking for weather-wise, environment-wise? What type of signs are you seeing from the trees? And, and what time of year did you start kind of exploring uh, to see if it was time for, for maple syrup? <laughs> Yeah, it's um, for maple syrup, it's very weather dependent. So typically, you know, we're going to be tapping our trees um, like late, like last week of February, or first week of March, typically. Um, but that varies. Uh, this year, honestly, if you did that um, and tapped them early, first week of March, you probably missed out on quite a bit of sap. The trees were actually dripping way back in early June, February, in fact. We wow. tapped our trees right around Valentine's Day. Um, we just missed out on a really good weekend that they were actually dripping pretty good prior to that. So for us and for a lot of maple syrup makers, you're really watching the weather more so than the calendar. The calendar gives you a rough idea, but you're waiting for the you're watching for those temperatures to kind of get above freezing during the day, but still be below freezing at night. And a bunch of those in a row, and then that's when you know the trees are probably going to start dripping and people get their taps on um, pretty early. This year was the earliest we ever did it, um, being that early like early February almost. Um, but just because we're kind of watching the weather, and we're like, hey, and then we tried it. Like, sure enough, we we're getting sap out. This year was a little very unique as well, where we didn't have a very cold winter. Therefore, there wasn't as much frost in the ground, so uh, it trees dripped pretty quick. Last year, it took them well into late March before they really started dripping pretty well. Interesting. And the perfect temperature, from what 
I recall, and from what I've heard from some of our outdoor experts that have joined us on this station before, is warmer temperatures during the day, but that freezing at night is still critical for good sap production. Is that correct? Yeah, you definitely have to have those below freezing temperatures. And it could be, honestly, it could be like warm nights and cold days, but you got to have the two. You got to have below freezing temperatures and above freezing temperatures. And that really creates that. Um, that sap, um, like sap flow in the tree where we can get it out um, through the spiles, the taps. It's really kind of crazy how that actually works. Um, the scientists aren't even 100% sure how it works on like on a cellular level almost. What we do know is that maple trees have unique parts of their cellular structure in the trunk that allow them to do this where no other trees are doing this right now. But the critical part of all that is you got to have below freezing temperatures and then you got to have a warm-up. And that freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing, basically is um, bringing sap up the trunk of the tree, eventually up to the buds in the very top, but you got to have those really cold temperatures and above, um, above freezing temperatures. And typically what will happen is if you get a slow freeze where, like, it gets lower and lower temperature and then it gets um, both below freezing at night um, and then it gets above freezing the next day, you're going to have a really good sap run. If you have it where it's above freezing, then it really gets quick or cold quick, um, and it stays away and then gets warm quick, you're going to have a little less sap run. The slow freezing does better for sap flow versus like a quick freeze. Fascinating. I have so much respect for folks like you, Jason, who uh, really probably understand this world better than most. Um, and and I can't imagine the excitement when you, you kind of feel maybe that change in the air and you start to see those signs. And then you start tapping. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's always we always love maple syrup season. It can be a lot of work, you know, and every yeah. year's every year's a little bit different. You're trucking through snow or mud or cold or rain, and you, you can't really. It's up to Mother Nature. It's one of those few things out there where we have zero control how much mm-hmm. sap we get from the trees. We can't do anything about it. It's all up to Mother Nature. It's all up to the temperatures. It's like how much how it was this um, past fall can dictate how much um, sugar around the sap this year. So it's all these things that we really don't control over. So that means we got to be ready to go and do as much as we can when we can because we don't know when it's going to stop. We're talking today with Jason Petrella, Program and Natural Resource Manager with the Brown County Parks Department. Coming up on Saturday, it's Sparkhausen's Public Maple Syrup Day. We're going to take a short break here, Jason, but when we come back, we'll get folks the details on all the day's activities and events, and we'll talk more maple syrup in just a bit. So do not go away. We'll take a short break and return after this. It's WHBY. Welcome back to Focus Fox Valley and WHBY. We're talking maple syrup today with Barkhausen ahead of their maple syrup public day coming up this weekend. We are talking with Jason Petrella, Program and Natural Resource Manager with the Brown County Parks Department. Jason, welcome back to the show. And we actually got a question from one of our listeners. A great question, actually. Curious to learn. Jim wondering, how many gallons of sap can you gather off of one tree? In a day, do you have an answer for him, Jason? Uh, kind of. I can give you a rough <laughs> ballpark. Um, so I'd say, like the most I've seen in one day off of a good tree is probably going to be four to five gallons off. Of, like it depends on size tree, but I would still look at it rather than like a tree. Let's say like a, a spile, a tap on a tree, um, like one bucket. We'll say on a tree, one bucket on a, like a good run um, for a day could probably give you three to five gallons on a really good day. Um, or more often it's going to be that one to two gallons. And then tree-wise, it depends on the size of the tree. If you got a tree that's 24 inch diameter, you can have two buckets on there. Yeah, you could potentially get eight, 10 gallons almost on that one tree on a really good run day. But that'll kind of go up and down and vary throughout the season. Interesting. And then putting that into perspective too, 40 to 60 of those buckets going into just one little gallon <laughs> of, of maple yeah. syrup, right? When it's burnt, when it's uh, yeah. cooked down. Yep, and it, it depends each year. It was kind of nuts for us a couple of years ago. We had 1% sugar in our trees, and usually our trees are closer too. What that meant in that particular year, same exact trees, same ones we've been using for years. Instead of that 40 to 60, it was more like 80, 90 gallons of sap wow. because of a gallon of syrup. Um, it varies. That's like the exact same trees. It's just that previous fall, it was hot, it was dry, they weren't able to store as much sugar. And that's what kind of affected, but typically, yeah, your forty to sixty range for us. Wow. Well, and of course, you're at the liberty of Mother Nature through it all. Amazing. Yeah. 
Well, exactly. like you're talking with me today, educating myself and my listeners, uh, you love doing this each and every day over at Barkhausen, and you host a, a really fun event at the at the Parks Department as well, coming up this Saturday, uh, to really guide people through what the pro- you know the process looks like out in the sugar bush. Talk with us about Barkhausen's Maple Syrup and Public Day, and uh, kind of the excitement that builds for this opportunity for folks to come out and see what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's really a celebration of spring. I mean, it was kind of feeling analysis. That's what this kind of day is night. Just, uh, it's also about, you know, it's about maple syrup. But also, it's like this, you know, maple syrup at the time when spring is arriving. So we'll have it go from 9 o'clock in the morning until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You can pre-register online on the Parks webpage. And then we'll have tours going out every half hour, 45 minutes. depends on how many groups we got. And the tours will be about an hour, hour and a half. And you'll learn every step in the process to make maple syrup. We talk about the legend, how maple syrup started, some of the tools they used uh, many years ago. Um, we'll talk about how the sugar gets in the tree in the first place, how you know what the sap's going to flow, what sap tastes like. You'll be able to taste sap that day fresh from one of our trees. You'll see our sugar shack where we're starting to cook down our um, sap to turn into syrup, how you know when you have syrup. So you're going to learn pretty much everything, not everything, but quite a bit about maple syrup because we'll start learning ourselves about everything about maple syrup. But you'll learn all the cool things about it. And then at the end of that tour, I wrap up inside our nature center. You'll get to sample some of of our maple syrup on some vanilla ice cream. And we'll also have some maple syrup that we make here um, available for purchase then. Yum. There's nothing better than maple syrup on ice cream. And kind of hardens a little bit and almost a crunchy factor, a little caramel factor. Oh, it's the best. (laughs) It is. It is. I'm curious. You mentioned the equipment used, and I would I would think that that has evolved a little bit over time. But what do you use? What do you use today in 2023 to access that sap? Yeah, it has definitely changed over the years, uh, but really, it's all kind of the same purpose. We're just trying to get water out of the sap to turn into syrup. So it's no different how they used to do years ago, boiling water in water bowl or wooden bowls. We're just doing a little more advanced this and do as quick as possible. So nowadays we have these stainless steel pans, and they can be quite extensive or quite small. Here we have a small, what we call an evaporator pan. So it's just open top, wide pan that we put sap in and put over a nice fire and a fire arch. Just get that to boil, get rid of the water, get more and more concentrated sugar. And then the same thing we'll kind of do on a smaller one inside the stove. And then we got tools to measure, um, make sure we're hitting that right percent of sugar in it. So we're a very simple operation. You don't need much really for anybody to do this, but more people make this more, make it more um, to sell more. They're going to have this fancy tubing system in the woods to bring the sap right to the cabin. They're going to have huge evaporators that can fill up the whole room. That basically at one end goes sap, the other end comes syrup. It's a continuous flow system, and they're cooking that all day, all night, because they've got to do it while the weather's good. And it's really quite extensive. They even got things like reverse osmosis machines, really cool filters. Wow. It's really crazy how some of the stuff has evolved over the years, but it also can be very simple. Someone can do it at home on a stovetop of a turkey fryer. Um, if you got a few maple trees, anybody can make maple syrup. I love that. Well, if the folks listening are, are curious to learn more about maple syrup, the process, uh, truly from start to finish, uh, Barkhausen is the place to be this Saturday. Again, where can people purchase tickets? Because from what I'm reading, no walk-ins. So you do need to get those tickets ahead of time, correct, Jason? Yeah, yeah. If you go to browncountyparks.org, so it'll be the website for the Parks Department, and there'll be a link there. You can buy tickets online. And then we're hoping for a good weather day. I know it's a little threat of some snow, but a little snow makes it kind of peaceful. But you can do that right in the website and uh, for Saturday coming up. All right. Just $5 a person. Kids two and under are free. And again, an amazing opportunity to learn more about how maple syrup is made. Jason, thank you so much for giving us some insight today. And, and happy maple syrup season for you and for everyone over at Barkhausen. Thank you. Really appreciate being on. Absolutely. Jason Petrella, again, Program and Natural Resource Manager with the Brown County Parks Department. This uh, fun event, again, this Saturday between 9 and 2 o'clock at Barkhausen uh, in the Brown County area, Swamico area. And uh, happy maple syrup, everyone. (laughs) It's a great time of year, indeed. We'll take a short break. Your first alert forecast still ahead. Welcome back to Focus Box Valley on WHBY. It's time now for our Focus on Careers. 
where we partner with Box Valley Technical College to introduce you to different careers of promise in the area. And today we are talking all about the associate degree in nursing, highlighting that associate degree nursing program. Jennifer Zernzak joins us here today, associate degree nursing instructor, and we're going to learn more about this really in-demand career at Fox Valley Technical College. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Haley. Welcome. Or thank you for having me, I should say. Yes, I'm so glad you're here today. And my goodness, nursing, <laughs> such an important uh, job. I'm, I'm a little happy you're here in case yeah. anything were to happen today. You never know. But uh, a really in-demand career, a needed respected career as well. And Fox Valley Tech um, has a couple of different nursing pathways. But again, we're talking just on this two-year program, this associate degree in nursing. So I'm hoping we can start by just kind of walking through the program a bit. Sure. And and where are they preparing to go with this particular degree? Absolutely. So um, if our students are ready to start our program, what they do is they have to take a CNA class first of all, so we kind of get their feet wet into that nursing career. Um, and then they just have to take three gen eds and they can start right in our core program. So once they get there, it's two, it's, um, two years, so four semesters in spring and fall in our program. And then we just teach them all about the nursing world. So we start off kind of hands-on doing a lot of skills. So listening to heart and lungs and learning all those assessments, how to give meds, learning about meds, learning about the foundation foundations of nursing and as the semesters progress obviously obviously getting more complex and learning about different disease processes learning about maternity and newborns and all of those fun things as well so one thing that i think is really a common misconception in just the general population is like the difference between an associate degree and a BSN prepared nurse. So really mm. at the end of the day, when we complete our nursing program, all students need to take that licensure exam and take we take the same NCLEX and they're still the same registered nurse at the end of the day. So... I think that's a lot of people get a little bit confused about that. So, yeah, that's a really good clarification. But one thing that I've learned is that there seems to be a lot of different layers or levels uh -huh, in nursing. Absolutely. And you can always kind of continue that education. Yes. So it is very complex. We had to make things difficult. Um, we do have another program. We have um, the LPN or the practical nursing program. So that one's only a two semester program once they get to core. But our associate degree nurses can stop after two years and take that exam and work as an LPN. And then, like you said, they can continue complete that four year or that four semester to complete um, the associate degree. And then we work so closely with local area colleges and just colleges really throughout the country to get that BSN. Um, some hospitals do require that our graduates get that BSN completion within five years but often after coming by us they'll pay for them to do it mm. so it's a lot it's a financially reasonable option to come by us get the same you know take the same NCLEX get that RN and then you know kind of go from where it, where you want to go so sometimes you need it to work and sometimes you don't so it depends on the yep. situation yep. interesting if there's one thing listeners should make sure to do sometime in their lifetime, it's to tour Fox Valley Tech. Oh my gosh. And to yes. see the different training facilities. It's all about hands-on training. Talk with us about the facilities that these students are learning. In. Absolutely. So we have um, just basic skill labs, which have kind of more of our basic models. So, you know, obviously we don't want to inject somebody without practicing or do any of our skills. We have just kind of our basic models for injecting, you know, doing mannequins, starting IVs, um, you know, doing trait cares, things like that. But really, I feel like our, pr our pride and glory at the tech is our simulation center. So it's kind of like a hospital-like environment where we have a room that's more um, simulated like that, and we have a mannequin in there that is more computerized. So we call it a high-fidelity mannequin. And as an instructor, we're behind a double glass, and we can kind of control what's going on. So it's really kind of fun for everyone, I think. Um, so the mannequins like actually breathe. Their chests rise and fall. They, we can have our students listen to different lung sounds, to different heart sounds, change the rhythm of that. They can feel for pulses. They can see their eyes blinking. They can actually look at them and like their pupils will change if you shine the light in them. So um, we do a lot of learning in that environment because what happens in the hospital setting when we go to clinical is if a critical event is happening, the nurses obviously should take over. That's what should happen. And our students kind of get pushed to the side of the room to watch. But we want them to be prepared no matter what the situation is. So in simulation, it gives them the opportunity to really be the nurse in control and they're, it's a safe environment for them to learn and make mistakes. And then as the instructors, we can say, okay, you gave this medication and we can kind of show them what would simulate what would happen if you gave 
you know, the right medication, hopefully is what they do. But obviously there's lots of learning with doing the wrong thing too. So if we accidentally make a medication error, it is a safe environment. No Mm -hmm. harm was done. And hopefully we learned a very valuable lesson to not make that mistake again. And in addition, it also gives our students all the same experience because in the hospital, you never know, like you could have, we could have eight students there who have eight very different clients and we can kind of give them all the same learning experience in our simulation center. So yeah, we have six different rooms. Um, We have, most of them are adults, but we do have one that um, in second semester we use for a um, a mom in labor. And then we have a newborn and then a pediatric patient as well. What an amazing resource. Of course, though, you do kind of you know, move on in a sense to that clinical, that clinical space as well. There are some areas in the community that partners with Fox Valley Tech to offer that for students. What Mm -hmm. are those? Oh, we have so many wonderful um, connections. So we have students go to Ascension, to Theta Care, Aurora. We have so many long-term care sites like Brewster Village, St. Joe's, St. Paul's, Oak Ridge. Um, And then once our students get to kind of fourth semester, there's so many more. I can't possibly list them all, but those are some major ones that we work with. So when our students go to clinical, Um, you know, we start that right away in first semester and have them go and actually take care of a client. I mean, our simulation center is absolutely wonderful, but it's not the same as working with a real person. Um, So when someone is in distress, like you can see that on their face or if they're scared, you know, just having those emotional connections with clients is huge just alone. But obviously we're working as nurses, so we want to get that hands-on experience even more. So we work right alongside the staff members at those hospitals or in the long-term care. We do assessments and give meds and kind of are working alongside them and seeing like what happens when we have this test and now we have, we learn more information. Where are we going from this? Um, So clinicals are definitely a fan favorite and it really is what they're going to do as nursing. So it's, it's wonderful to have such amazing partners, and we appreciate all of them. We're talking with Jennifer Zernzak today, Associate Degree Nursing Instructor with Box Valley Tech. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, the demand for these grads and what they're seeing locally as well. So stick with us. More to come in our Focus on Careers after this. <laughs> We are exploring the world of nursing with Fox Valley Technical College, highlighting their associate degree nursing program with instructor Jennifer Zernzak and in demand. This is one of those careers, nursing, of course, we saw during the pandemic, we learned about the gaps and the need for healthcare workers. When we look at the associate nursing program and the nurses that are in need here, what are you seeing? Graduates still in high demand? Absolutely. Um, I'm sure if any of you listening have gone to healthcare recently, I mean, there's just waits, um, especially in the ERs. There's so many people who need care. And unfortunately, we just don't have the nurses. Even before the pandemic hit, we are kind of in a nursing shortage and it's only going to get worse. So definitely high demand field right now. Um, and and for years to come, it will be. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about maybe who's a good fit then for the program. Yeah. Who is an ideal candidate? And if someone's interested, if there's a high schooler listening, yeah. a college student listening, uh, even people looking for maybe a, a change in their career. Absolutely. Who- I was going to say, like, one thing about the tech that I think is amazing is we have a wide variety of people. We have people right out of high school who are like, yep, I knew I wanted to be a, bur- a, a nurse since I was two. <laughs> and yeah. then we have people who, like you said, change careers. So we've had people who have been 55 60 years old and come through our program Um, and I mean the majority of our students are a little bit different than a non-traditional straight out of high school student where they're working full-time because they need that you know income they have a family they need their insurance we have people who have little kids and spouses and are taking care of so much other things going on in their life that they can't you know just have the luxury of like I did when I went to college just kind of like living in a fake university world where kind of all those other problems are, are gone. So we do work so closely with students of all, you know, our new grad or our, our new high school grads and, and we have amazing resources at the college to help them. So people should be interested in science for sure. Like how does the body work? You have to kind of love that in order to really understand nursing. And then there's so much other things that, like I say, the soft skills, right? You need to be have that kind, caring. Um, we're like one of the most trusted professions. You know, when you talk to a nurse, you want to be able to hope that you know you can trust them and tell them things and that they're going to be there for you. They're caring for you instead of being at home with their family. That's 
kind of what their life calling is. So those are some of the main things that I think to be a nurse that, you know, just have to be willing to care for others in their time of need. Yeah. And my goodness, uh, shout out to those nurses. They (laughs) really do love on you so much Mm -hmm. when you are in need. And I can, I can think of many times where I've been so appreciative of that nurse in Mm -hmm. those situations. All right. So maybe someone's, you know, thinking, okay, maybe a nursing, maybe starting with that CNA, as you mentioned earlier, um, what would you recommend for a student who's maybe just looking, browsing? What's your advice? Absolutely. The CNA is probably the first place I would say, if you haven't taken that, that's kind of getting your foot wet into what nursing is all about. And like I said, it is a requirement to come into our program. Um, Like you also said, coming to the tech I can't stress that enough. Just coming, like I work with the most incredible instructors and they go above and beyond. And I think once you kind of meet them, you see that. Um, coming to see what our lab look like, what look, our labs look like in our simulation center. We have usually two big ho- open houses for the colleges in usually October and February that please come out to those or just call our admissions department. They're happy to answer any of your questions or they will give you a private tour Um, as well, or check out our our website as well. Fantastic. The website, if you could mention it for us, Jennifer. Um, It is fetc.edu slash nursing I believe yes, yes. you are you are spot on I kind of put her on the spot with that one Sorry. but yes <laughs> fetc.edu if you just search uh, associate degree nursing program and uh, they're ready to take you yeah absolutely Jennifer thanks for being here today it's been Thank great to so chat much. with you appreciate it all right that's our focus on careers we'll take a short little break and I'll let you know what's coming up on your Thursday